Coming up on Stu Does America, Daily Wire's Michael Knowles joins us to talk about what to expect in the election, how the media is getting it wrong, and what stodgy white Republican would make the best rapper. And the guy from the Trump administration who is known as anonymous, but it still is kind of completely anonymous because no one knows who he is, gets confronted about his lying to CNN. We'll investigate to see if we can figure out his name. Help us fight the evil YouTube algorithm robots by subscribing to our channel, commenting on our videos, and hitting the little bell that notifies you every time we post. And I'm doing extra updates for the podcast as polls get released until Election Day. Find them by subscribing on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Don't forget to rate and review as well. It's great. Whatever. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars, by the way. And there's still time to hit up Blaze TV's special deal from now until the election. Just head to blazetv.com slash stew. Use the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show. And you're going to save 30 bucks. All right. The most frequent question I get about the election is how can we possibly believe the polls? Usually it's framed more like, uh, hey, idiot, you don't still believe the polls, do you, moron? So let's look closer and do polling errors. Stu does America. Welcome to the program tonight. Conservators unite. You know, let me just congratulate you before we get started here today. You just went through an open where I was talking about all the stuff coming up. And I mentioned the title of the show tonight was Stu does polling errors. And you're still here. That's amazing. No audience shows up for a show called Stu Does Polling Errors. But here you are, Conservative Nerds Unite. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, now, we are at that point where the big campaign events are over. No more debates, no more conventions. I mean, Joe Biden basically put a lid on the campaign back in March. So we spent the week overanalyzing basically every little aspect of this race. If you've watched the shows this week, we went through Trump's path to 270, to the enthusiasm gap, to breaking down individual polls pretty much every day. I could sit here and tell you every night about an upcoming red wave where the president wins by 10 points and the Republicans take the House and hold the Senate and how every little dream of ours is going to come true. And that show is available for you out there if you want to find it. But I've been honest with you from the beginning. I told you that Trump was behind in the bowls, but it was a weird year and he still had plenty of time to turn it around. I said that I wouldn't really start worrying until the end of September. And then in the beginning of October, I came on to tell you that it was time to start worrying. Much, but not all of this, was because of public polling. It's been my job here for a very long time to look at polls and data and try to communicate what they are telling us without everyone in the audience hanging themselves out of boredom. But I always get the same point brought up to me over and over again. The polls are always wrong, so why are we looking at them? And there's some basis for that. I mean, first of all, 2016 is really fresh in our minds. That was you know, kind of a life-defining political event for a lot of people. And it's also the most recent presidential election. We are always affected by recency bias in these things. Now, we've looked at this before, and if you watch this show every day or listen on podcast, you know that the miss wasn't as bad as has been perceived. Um, you know, they weren't predicting the Electoral College and national polls. That's not how it works. They predict the popular vote. And they missed the popular vote by about 2.1 points. Uh, that's not a perfect hit, but, you know, hey, it's, uh, it's, not, it's not that far off either. 
The truth is there, of course, uh, if you can dig through it enough and you can find little indications when the Trump sort of surge at the end of the election was coming. You can kind of see it coming if you go back and, and look at the data carefully. And we'll get into that here in a little bit. But the truth is that there are always poll misses. Some states will always be off. It will happen again in this election. What we also forget, though, of course, is that there is a polling error of some note in 2012. That one was about the same size as 2016, but it went the other way toward the Democrats. In other words, Trump outperformed his polls. Romney underperformed his polls. So to get a little bit of bad news out of the way first, remember, this is important and we should at least say it before we get into the more positivity, uh, positive moments of, of tonight's show. Polling errors can go both ways. I mean, 538 has Trump's chances of winning the election at 11 percent, but they also have the chances of Biden winning in a landslide at 30 percent, like three times as likely that Biden wins in a landslide than Trump wins at all. Now, if a polling error favors Biden, it's going to be a really rough night slash four years slash eternity. At this point, Trump would need a polling error to win. This is not news to you if you listen to this show. Here's what the map looks like with the polls as they stand right now. Uh, Do we have that? This is going to might make you gasp a little bit if you haven't seen this yet. Prepare yourself. Here it is. Biden uh, is at 357 electoral votes. Trump wins only 181 electoral votes. Now, do I think this is going to happen? No. But this is where the polls are lining up at this very moment, just five days away from the election. But polls are wrong, right? They were wrong in 2016. What if they're wrong the same way in 2020? Nate Cohn went through all the data and looked at how the race would change if we had a 2016-sized polling error. If the exact same thing happened in 2020 that happened last time, Trump would win some additional states. He'd keep Ohio and Texas, which are sort of swing states this, this election. It's a weird thing to say that Texas is kind of a swing state. I don't know that I really believe it, but he would keep Ohio and Texas. He would then flip North Carolina into his column, as well as Iowa, and he would snag Maine's second district, which has one extra electoral vote. That closes the gap a little bit, but it's not nearly enough. It's now Biden 335, Trump 203. Hmm. The leads are just too large right now for a normal 2016-style polling error to explain them. But there were some big misses in 2016. Look at uh, Nate Cohn's chart right here. This is uh, the polling error um, in Wisconsin, for example, was six points. In Minnesota, uh, it was six points, four points in Michigan and Pennsylvania. Throw those together with a few points in the margin of error, you have an outside shot. You're in the picture, at least. Now, the 2012 polling error went against Republicans. What if this time that same sized error goes in Trump's favor? What does the map look like with the 2002 size error in the favor of Donald Trump? In this scenario, Trump keeps Ohio and Texas again, loses North Carolina and Georgia, but grabs Florida, Iowa and Maine's second district. This winds up a little worse for Trump than the 2016 error. Uh, or a little bit actually is a little bit is it a little bit better, or a little bit worse. It's right around the same area. 321 for Biden and Trump 217. It's actually a little bit better for Trump in this scenario. So to take it to take a step back and, and look at this from a larger uh, the larger perspective here for a minute, what we're talking about now is is not 2016. It's not 2012. It's something bigger than that. What is the size we need here for this to actually happen? 
if a poll, if these polls, I mean, look, we don't know. We don't know all the behind the scenes things. What we do know is there's a lot of different companies, all of which want lots of money to do polls. So they are not incentivized uh, to get things wrong. You could argue earlier on in the race, maybe they don't, they, they don't, they can do that because at the end of the day, who's going to remember what their poll said in March, right? Like you could argue that. But here we are at the end of this, of this campaign. Their last poll is going to be the one they are remembered by. Remember, these are people who went through 2016, had errors, and got beat up for it for four years. So they, there's some incentive there for them to not overlook an actual Trump surge. So with that being said, what if we were to double the polling error from 2016? What happens then? Trump would keep Texas and Ohio. He would snag Georgia and North Carolina. Also, he grabs Iowa and Maine's 2nd District and Pennsylvania, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. So this is a big error. It throws four states to almost exact ties. Florida, Georgia, Michigan, and Arizona. That brings our little map to Trump 243, Biden 223, with 72 electoral uh, votes up for grabs. Trump would need to win any of those two for, uh, of those two of those four remaining states. So we can't do we can't do it with one. He's got to win any two of them at least. That's Arizona, Georgia, Florida, and Michigan. Now, because I want to end on a positive note, let's just fill in all four for Trump and see what it looks like. It's Trump 315, Biden 223. And that is possible, guys. I'm not saying it's not. I know that hearing this at times, people get bummed out by it. But I, I don't know. I'm, I had this, uh, this back and forth with my wife from time to time when something important is going on in our lives. And she will say, she will look for the best case scenario. What's the best case scenario here? Uh, and she will say, well, if only the best case scenario happens, everything's going to be fine. And I do the exact opposite. Opposites attract, or at least, you know, in my case, it does. I have no idea if she actually is attracted. But here's the point. <laughs> if you have a situation where you look at the worst case scenario and then move from there, you can kind of set a floor. Like when, you know, I don't know, if water leaks all over your rug, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, there's water leaking on my rug. There could be mold. There could be all these things. And if you kind of step back and say, okay, the worst case scenario here is I'm going to have to spend X amount of money to repair that. I can internalize that and say, okay, that's where I am. Now, hopefully, we can do better than that. Maybe the, 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 you, know, you set up a fan, you get rent from Home Depot and, and you know, I don't know, try to dry the rug out and everything works out fine. Who knows? But I like to set the worst case scenario. And I hope you understand that is what is important uh, here. Because if you kind of understand where you, things might go, if things get better than that, great. That's wonderful. If they don't get better than that, at least you're prepared for it. So depending on what kind of person you are, you might find all of this hopeful or depressing. <laughs> I understand. It's true an average polling error isn't going to do it this time unless we see some dramatic changes in the polls in the final days. Now, to that point, we did see dramatic changes in the polls in the final days of 2016. This is the 538 average uh, chances for Trump to beat Clinton in the last three weeks of 2016. And if you see this chart, but man, we are just blowing it out tonight with charts. I, this is like Chartapalooza is back. Conservanerds unite. We pumping them out. If you're on podcast, what you're seeing is a flat line that increases about 12 days from the election. Not 
coincidentally, about the time that uh, James Coney's letter comes out. Also kind of the fade from the Access Hollywood tape that had you know, been around in the weeks leading up to this time period. And Trump goes from about 12 percent at the beginning of this chart up to about 36 percent chance to win. And he settled right below 30 percent overall. Now, ideally, you'd be seeing that same kind of movement in 2020 if Trump was going to pull this off. There was a clear momentum. People saw this at district level polls. People saw it in state level polls. There was evidence showing that Donald Trump was closing the gap in the last couple of weeks. People kind of thought there's no way Trump's going to win. Right. So people a lot of people ignored it. But the movement was there. I mean, you know, 538 takes a beating uh, a lot, but they they were one of the only ones showing that movement. I mean, it was clear it was tightening uh, as the race got closer. So what are we seeing so far in this race? And I'm going to put these two charts, these two lines right next to each other here on top of each other, as you can see. And like, look, it's just we are not seeing that rally this time from Donald Trump. This could be partially because, you know, the media is just ignoring the Hunter Biden story. It could be because uh, Joe Biden isn't as hated a candidate as Hillary Clinton is. But his chances, Donald Trump's chances, have actually fallen off uh, in the last couple of weeks by a few points. Now, we've seen, look, 80 million people have already cast their vote. That's probably around half of the electorate. And it's going to get even higher before a lot of the early voting centers close down. Late movement might be tough in this environment. But there are still some reasons uh, to, for optimism, if that's your kind of thing. And I don't, I, I don't understand you if optimism is your kind of thing, but welcome to the show anyway. It's possible Trump is a unique candidate that just breaks polling. I think there's, there's some reason to believe it, right? We, the only time we've seen this uh, happen, well, there was you know, a major change in the polls uh, from, from polling to reality. Maybe because Trump is kind of way out of the system and they can't track his voters correctly. People call all the time. And we talked about this in the Enthusiasm Gap show earlier this week. Look, I'm going around and I'm seeing Trump signs everywhere. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't don't know what these polls are talking about. I see Trump, 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 no Biden. People who used to have no signs would never even admit who they were voting for. Now I'm seeing 25 uh, Trump signs. I, I, you know, you have to factor that, that into your opinion. They tried to correct for their misses in 2016. The pollsters did. Um, And maybe they screwed that up. It's possible. I mean, 2018 was far from perfect, especially in Florida, by the way, a very important state. They tried to adjust this to basically say, okay, education uh, is what we missed here. We we didn't sample enough people, particularly white non-college graduates. uh, And we need to uh, increase that this time. They've tried to correct for that. Will they be right? I don't know. I think there's something to that. It's possible. I think the more likely scenario, if you want to talk about a Donald Trump victory, is this COVID-19 creating a unique environment that is breaking the polling. We've never dealt with anything like this. This is the worst, you know, pandemic we've seen in 100 years. But the pollsters have never dealt with anything uh, either. I mean, they're they. We don't know the way they're treating the early vote. We, you know, is an interesting thing. You know, what they're doing with Democrats, because Democrats are are using early vote a lot more um, uh, frequently than Republicans are, is when someone tells them on the phone, hey, uh, are you going to vote? And they say, yeah, I already voted. I voted for Joe Biden. They count that as basically a a definite vote for Joe Biden. If you're a Republican and you say, yeah, I'm going to definitely go out and vote, but I'm going to vote on Election Day. There's some percentage of those people who will not actually vote. They haven't cast their vote yet. Well, maybe 
Democrats are lying about that. Maybe they hadn't cast their vote already. Maybe their vote gets thrown out. Maybe Republicans show up in incredible numbers. There is some there could be something that throws these polls off as it relates to covid that just the pollsters are not seeing. It's not, you know, it's not that they're dumb or it's not that they're trying to sink, you know, Donald Trump, but it very well might be possible. They're just missing something here. A few pollsters believe that Trump is going to pull this out. Trafalgar has, a, has is one of them. Uh, he's you know, they're, they're polling off. It has a pretty good record, um, though. Some polling experts don't like their methods. Rasmussen was really good in 2016, uh, not so good in 2018. But at the end of the day, we can gamify this all we want. It's not a sporting event. You can't control everybody else. You can't control other states. All you can do is make a decision you're comfortable with, regardless of the results, and fight to persuade others to your side of the, the aisle. The time for trying to figure out what's going to happen is quickly evaporating. Soon, we'll have to deal with what happened. Maybe everything will be fine. Maybe it will be an unending horrorscape. The good news is we only have a few more days of torture before we know either way. Have you heard about intermittent fasting yet? Uh, it's really exploded in popularity over the past few years as an, a way to lose weight. Uh, and it's a different way to lose weight. I think most diets kind of say, well, you can restrict this entire genre of food or you can eat what you want, but just take a little bit off the top of every every meal. And if you do that for a thousand consecutive years, you'll lose up to three pounds. I don't know. These things just don't work for me when I want to lose weight and I come off like a, a weekend where maybe I went to a sporting event or maybe went out and, had, you know, ate way too much for way too long. Sort of the thanks. My, my I have about 12 Thanksgivings per year. So when one of those weekends goes by, intermittent fasting is a great way to get things kind of back lined up. It speeds up your metabolism. It, you see results really fast. You can see the scale move every single day when you do this. And that's really important to keep you motivated to continue to doing it. Fast Blast uh, is a great way to get started with this. They have their own smoothies, which I think you'll really enjoy. And honestly, even if you don't want to, if you want to do any of that, you just just use their their app, uh, Fasten, F-A-S-T-E-N. It's free. So you can get it for free in your app store right now. Uh, you can go on there and you can look at it. It monitors your weight. It helps track your hydration, your mood, all the different things. kind of gives you a little countdown clock so you can kind of gamify weight loss is kind of the kind of way I look at it. It gives you a little challenge. Get to this point, then you can eat. It's great. Um, it really works really well, and I think you can also learn a lot about fasting there. Uh, go to fastblast.com slash blaze, fastblast.com slash blaze. Do your own homework. You, there At the website, you can get the link to the Fasten app, or just go to your app store, F-A-S-T-E-N. Check it out. Fasten is the new app from Fastblast. It's fastblast.com slash blaze. Happy to welcome back to the program Daily Wire's Michael J. Knowles, host of the Michael Knowles Show and co-host of The Verdict with Ted Cruz. Michael, thanks for coming on the program. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, it's been uh, a crazy week, as it always is. That statement is, is constant. Uh, we learned today that Anonymous, this big op-ed writer for The New York Times, is none other than some guy I've never heard of, which was a, <laughs> an amazing revelation. And a guy who's been out there publicly, you know, going after Trump this whole time. I mean, this is absolutely ridiculous, is it not? You know, I really hope it was worth it for this guy. He got at least, I think, about 14 minutes of fame. Maybe he'll get that 15th minute. And all he had to do for that 
was lose all of his credibility, betray his benefactors, and undermine the constitutional government that he took an oath to go on and serve, that he accepted the responsibility of serving at the pleasure of the president, then he tried to subvert it from within. Really shameful stuff. It's so interesting to me that all of Trump's critics, uh, they always accuse him of undermining our norms, undermining our constitutional government, betraying people, and yet they exhibit those qualities so much more than he does. So this guy, he's obviously a schmuck. He should be ashamed of himself. And I'm sure we're all going to forget his name in five minutes, even though, frankly, I don't remember it right now. <laughs> I don't either. I, I, was, I was going to say it before, but I actually just couldn't remember it. Um, you know, it's interesting because it's like, you know, I I think you're the same way. I don't mind some reasoned criticism of the president. I don't. I yeah. actually encourage it. I would like to hear smart conservatives picking apart things that he does from time to time. But this, there's something about this idea that you can come out and just blast him over every single thing that he does, and it makes you one of the cool kids. It makes you on the inside of the party instead of the outside looking in. And, you know, everyone fawns over you, I'm sure, at all these little gatherings in D.C., but, I, you know, it, it doesn't impress me. And I, I don't understand why people get so sucked in by this life. Of course, I'm more than happy to criticize the president uh, when I think he merits criticism and when I think that can be helpful. But I don't work for the administration. Mm. I'm on the outside. And if this guy wanted to publicly criticize the president, he could do it. He just has to quit his job. I also don't mind it when people who work for the president criticize him. But if you're going to do it from that position, then you should do it privately and raise your concerns up the chain. If you are going to undermine the president, it's like any other job. If you're going to undermine your boss, you're going to undermine the company you're working for, and so much more so if you're going to undermine the government that you have, you have vowed that you would serve, then you got to get out because that is deceitful, that is duplicitous, that is subversive, and it's anti-constitutional. When we talk about the deep state, you know, or the, the administrative state or the bureaucracy, this is what we're talking about, the permanent government that doesn't give a damn what the voters think. And so I, I have no respect for this guy whatsoever. If he wants to go be a critic, then he can go cash in with the other con artists at the Lincoln Project. But <laughs> as for the rest of the government, they should follow the orders that they are given by the man who was elected. You know, and I think like it seems like everybody's pissed off at this guy now. I mean, everybody, even even the left is pissed off. They're like, oh, it was only this guy. And the right is pissed off about it. But but I think like one thing we're all sort of missing in the middle of this or at least not focusing on enough is how disingenuous the New York Times was. They gave this guy a platform knowing that no one on earth would know who he was and promoted him as if it was maybe was it Mike Pence? I don't know. It could be anybody. They made it out to be the biggest deal in the world and they had nothing this entire time. And are they going to face any repercussions for it? Well, certainly they're not going to face any repercussions, but also uh, overplaying their hand and, and creating a lot of smoke and mirrors is the M.O. of the New York Times. That is what they exist to do. And they obviously did it here. When, when the anonymous story first came out, we said, as you say, was it Mike Pence? Was it Nikki Haley? Mm. Was it John Kelly? Was it, I don't know, all of these other people? No, it's some low-level doofus who, you know, is now getting a book deal and that's going to be the end of his career. They always do this. They had to do it on Russia. They had to do it on Trump's taxes. They had 
to do it on Stormy Daniels. They had to do it on, on all of these things because they don't have the evidence. And it's so ironic because right now we do have hard evidence of Joe Biden's corruption, not even just in Ukraine, not even just in China, but going back to the 1970s when he was getting his brother's sweetheart loans from the Senate Banking Committee. This guy has been corrupt and we've got the receipts for it. New York Times doesn't want to run a story about that because all they have for Trump are mere insinuations and mere uh, you know, suggestions and exaggerations. And I don't think it's fooling anybody. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I, you have to wonder about the, the tax return story. You have to wonder about all these things they've piled on. Russia, all of that is obviously already out in the open. But this is it's an amazing, uh, you know, from the, the paper that's supposed to be the one holding up this journalistic standard. It, it really is incredible. You bring up uh, uh, the whole Biden situation with the corruption. Um, there's been there was this interview uh, the other day with um, with Tucker Carlson and, and Bobulinski, uh, this guy who is got all sorts of I mean, he's coming out on the record. He's actually this is not a, a person who's saying he's anonymous. This is a person who's telling you who he is. He's got the emails. He's got receipts. He's got documents, all sorts of information about the story. Yet no one will do anything about it. The New York Post, as far as I know, still doesn't have their Twitter account back to even tweet about it. Uh, all of this is going on. Does it actually matter to the voters? No, it doesn't. I, I have to break with some of my fellow conservatives here who got so excited with the big scoop. And Tucker did a great job getting the guest. He, he always does a great job. But nobody cares. Because what's the news here? The news is we've got proof that the insinuations we've heard for six months or 18 months even about Joe Biden's corruption in Ukraine and China. We've got proof now that it's real. We've got people going on the record. Okay, we already knew that. We already knew that Joe was corrupt. As, as I mentioned earlier, we know he's corrupt going back to getting his brother's sweetheart deals from the banking committee. We know that he's corrupt allowing his brother to lobby in Washington on behalf of crook lawyers who ended up in prison for bribery in the 1990s. We know that Joe Biden's brother, Jim, got a billion and a half dollar contract contract for construction in Iraq. Joe Biden's brother doesn't know anything about construction or Iraq. We know every every penny that Hunter Biden got to the tune of millions and millions of dollars. And we know Joe Biden took the meetings in the White House with Devin Archer, with Hunter Biden's business partner, just days before he goes to Ukraine and seals these deals. Okay, we know all of that. That's built into the calculus. It's kind of like attacking Donald Trump for sending mean tweets and having a colorful personal life. Everyone knows that already. And so I think a much more effective mode of attack is going to be pointing out how Joe Biden is going to destroy the oil industry, destroy fracking, destroy uh, our tax code, right, and raise taxes on a lot of people. Those are issues that I think really hit people. Most people assume that politicians are corrupt generally. They've already known about Joe Biden's corruption. I think it's a little bit of a distraction in the remaining days of the campaign. And there's not many left. And, you know, looking at the, the, the state of the race as as we speak, you know, Trump is is has got his, an uphill battle, I think, here in some of these states. It's it's not going to be easy, uh, certainly. Um, and, you know, as you look at this and you see these things developing last minute, is there a direction that the president should be going in um, to, to try to close this deal to to, to I mean, I, I'm, I'm, so, I'm amazed to see these Philly riots right now, especially because it's a reminder to everybody in Bucks County and Montgomery County that, hey, this could be your life going forward if you make a certain decision here next week. What's the right approach here for the last week of the campaign? I am going to do the thing you're never supposed to do on TV, Stu. And I'm going to say 
I don't know. And the reason I don't know is because this election is unlike any election we've ever had. The widespread mail-in voting has never happened before when the experts tell us that there's no evidence of fraud. I guess they're not lying, but the reason there's no evidence is because it's never happened. And there, and where we do have evidence, there is evidence of fraud. So that's going to confound things. After that second debate, one of the biggest trends on Google was, can I change my vote? Which you can <laughs> in certain states, but not in every state. And I don't think they're changing it for Biden. I think Biden collapsing on stage was evidence that people wanted to change it for Trump. Uh, you've you've got the Philly riots. That's going to co- confound things, uh, probably in Trump's favor. So uh, it, the election is going to come down to something like 11 counties in this country. And and it could be anybody's game. You know, the polls were basically right in 2016, but they were wrong enough that it threw the whole election. And here I, I suspect that the bias in favor of Democrats is going to be even greater when you've got cities on fire because of leftist marauding gangs. When you get the phone call from a pollster, are you going to admit that you're voting for Mango Mussolini? I don't think so. You're, you're probably going to downplay that, and the polls seem to be oversampling Dems. So I think Trump has the good instincts. Uh, during this debate, this most recent one, he heard Joe Biden say that he was going to kill the oil industry, and he basically said, stop, listen to that. That's a big deal. I think we've got to focus on these issues that actually are going to affect people. They're not esoteric. They're not just for the political nerds. Trump is doing that, and then you've got to hit those 11 counties and hope that the Democratic uh, election counters don't sit on the ballot box. <laughs> I think one of the real uh, challenges, and I agree with you, he did a good job in that moment where he recognized that was a big deal. And it's important to people, particularly in Pennsylvania. I don't think the word Pennsylvania could have been said more in that debate. It shows you how important (laughs) it is. Uh, But I think one of the big challenges that Trump has had, and I don't think he's been able to succeed uh, uh, with, and and I think it's one of the reasons why people keep going back to the Hunter Biden thing, honestly, is because there's not a lot of passion against Joe Biden. He there was tons of passion against Hillary Clinton. And that was a way that he was able to ride that, even though a lot of people hated him, too. He's able to ride that into the White House. This is a situation where Biden is just seen as a nothing, a giant zilch who's a replacement level candidate who's on on the ballot. But no one seems to really put uh, putting putting any thought into the idea that he actually could be president in the United States. No one's internalized that. No one's afraid of it. I mean, I think people just think he's just a bumbling guy that'll be, you know, maybe a little incompetent, but that's about it. I don't. Is there a way to tell people uh, that this guy's going to be dangerous, especially if he starts giving in to people like Kamala Harris and AOC and Sanders and Warren? You can, but you, you can't overplay the case. And I think I think Biden or Trump rather has been very smart about this, which is Joe Biden is not some radical socialist. And if you try to pretend that he is, it's not going to read as uh, true or, or authentic. Likewise, Joe Biden is not a moderate. I think people get it wrong when they say Joe Biden's a moderate. Joe Biden is nothing. He is nothing at all. He's an empty suit who licks his index finger, puts it up in the air, and figures out which way the wind is blowing. Mm. The same is true of Kamala Harris, which is why she can never answer a question. They asked her flatly, she said, you've got a very left-wing voting record. Are you progressive and socialist? And she awkwardly stammered and laughed and just went back to her old identity politics games. Because neither of them believe anything at all. And, and therein lies the danger, because they are simply placeholders for the Democratic establishment, which has become legitimately radical in recent years. Tom Perez, head of the DNC, said that AOC and the socialists are the future of the party. You've seen the radicalism from big tech. You've seen the radicalism from the mainstream media. You've seen the radicalism from Hollywood and, of course, from the bureaucracy and the elected Democrats. That all forms the liberal establishment, which will be the godless, headless monster that that operates in a, a hypothetical Joe Biden presidency. That's, I think, what you've got to show to the voters. You say, you want to see what happens in a Joe Biden presidency? 
presidency, forget looking at Joe. He's sleepy Joe. He's not even going to be on the job. Look at what's happening in Philly. Look at what was happening in Minneapolis. Look what's happening on your social media feeds. That is what the, the left-wing governance is going to look like. And I think that that is pretty scary to people. Uh, Michael, looking at some of the polls that have come down over the past few weeks, and, you know, you can you can throw polls away completely if you want. But, you know, I, I think there's definitely something to learn. One of the interesting uh, things we've seen, which is maybe against the grain, is that uh, minority voters are moving towards Trump, uh, which is something we were told would never, ever, ever happen. Democrats have been counting on this being a you know, a foundational part of their party moving forward. It's how they're going to turn Texas blue and all of this. Uh, They've been planning on this for a long time. Minority voters moving towards Trump, moving towards Republicans, while it's white suburban voters moving away from Trump and and away from Republicans. How do you explain that? And you think that's a real trend? Well, because nobody in this politically correct culture is actually offended. People are only uh, uh, pretend to be offended on behalf of other people. Mm. So the people who pretend to be offended tend to be these white liberals who are such a frustrating uh, demographic in in the United States. Mm. But for black voters, for Hispanic voters, President Trump made a good argument to them in 2016, which is, what have you got to lose? You've been voting for these other idiots for the past seven million years, and they haven't done very much for you. So how about you give me a try? And it worked out very well. You had the lowest black unemployment practically in American history. Same is true for Hispanics. And so I'm not surprised at all that they would maybe move more in his direction. There's also beyond just the egghead economic questions, there is a tonal question here, which is President Trump, it's one of the most important lines he said in 2016. He was called out for some of his lurid language and he said, listen, I don't have time to be politically correct. And it it was so interesting to compare his debates with Biden with the Mike Pence, Kamala Harris debate, which was much more civilized and it was kind of like going into a time machine. That's Mm. how debates used to be, but they both sounded like politicians. I like Mike Pence a lot, but they both were following that old script. Trump doesn't do that. He is, he is much more authentic. I mean, he, he's, he tells the truth quite a lot more, even though it's funny that everyone calls him a liar, but he actually says what he's going to do and he follows through on it. You saw this most notably probably with the embassy move in Israel. He said it, but nobody believed it because both parties had been lying about it for so many years. I think that goes a long way with voters that he actually means what he says. It just, when it comes to the, the black community in particular, Donald Trump has been featured in hip hop songs something like 300 times over the decades. Mm. So uh, no one has ever called him a racist. He was sort of idolized in a certain segment of the black community. And you see this, I mean, forget about how he's doing with Hispanics and black voters. Just look at the inroads he's made with the rap community. You know, he's got Kanye and he's got 50 Cent. You couldn't ever imagine that for someone like Mitt Romney or John McCain. So he's just a different candidate. He's offering different policies and he's talking in a different way. I don't think we should be surprised when different voting demographics respond to that in, in unexpected ways. And for the sake of fairness, we've never seen Mitt Romney rap. We don't know if he's good at it. He might be. <laughs> you make a good point. <laughs> he might be great. Uh, one last question before I let you go. Uh, I, I'm amazed to see this world where uh, the biggest story any of us would have possibly imagined goes with such a little whimper as Amy Coney Barrett gets put into the Supreme Court. This, you know, if you would have told me at the beginning of this year, a month before the election, Ruth Bader Ginsburg would pass away, sadly. And but they put in Amy Coney Barrett. And that's a great improvement. It would somehow go through and people would basically not even mention it on their newscast as it's happening. It's an incredible change. You did see some people on the left absolutely freaking out, uh, crying into their cell phones has become this bizarre trend. What do you make of all this? (laughs) 
It, what I make of it is that Chuck Schumer and Dick Durbin are smarter than they look, the leaders of the Democratic Party in the Senate, because they could have uh, had a Brett Kavanaugh part two situation where they attack Amy Barrett for her religion. Dick Durbin inadvertently did that years ago. And where they attack her for her children, they, they made uh, intimations that they were going to attack her for her two adopted children from Haiti. And I think they realized very quickly, gosh, that isn't going to play well. We lost a lot of ground in the public because of what we did to Brett Kavanaugh, let's not do this again. And the Democrats had real discipline. They essentially boycotted the hearings. They boycotted that final vote. And uh, they moved past it because they knew it would hurt them in November. The timing, ironically, uh, actually probably helped Amy Barrett's chances. They just want to move on because she's such an impressive candidate. And then they're going to probably try to pack the court, which Joe Biden has suggested he's more than willing to do by various methods. So that, that sort of thing is on the ballot. I think they, they believe they'll be able to cancel out Amy Barrett's confirmation if, heaven forfend, they get power in November. Mm. On an episode of the Michael Knowles show recently, you were talking about this thing where people do cry into their cell phones in this like <laughs> maniacal way, which is so embarrassing. But you, you brought up a great uh, piece of political trivia, which was the Barack Obama Life of Julia ad. Uh, which I had forgotten about. It's been a long time since we uh, since we uh, talked about that. But it it, it it really makes sense because you are if you are the, the ad was basically saying, like, government is there for you at every negative turn in your life. Every time you need something, yes. government will be there. They'll always be there. They're like the father you never had. They're the ones that are taking care of you through every tough choice. So when that lets you down, when the government lets you down, I'm not surprised to see these people crying and sobbing into their cell phones. It's a it's it's like when they have put all of their faith in this entity of government, when it lets them down, this is what's going to happen. Could you imagine sobbing over a judicial appointment? It's <laughs> like sobbing over the, the new head of the IRS. Why should I care about that sort of thing? What, what does it affect my life? But, you know, the life of Julia, which was this Obama campaign ad saying from cradle to grave, the only meaningful relationship that you will have in your life is with the federal government. The left has more or less scrubbed that from the internet. You can't really find it. It got such pushback when he put it up there in 2012. And it is terrifying because it, it, we're seeing it play out in real life. These sort of hysterical women who cry into their phones and say they're so upset about Amy Barrett or whoever. Normally, if, if you're upset, you would talk to your spouse, you would talk to your family, you talk to your friends, you talk to your local community, you talk to your church, you talk to the bowling league, I don't know. But we don't have those things. We've had obviously family breakdown and breakdown of civil society now going on for decades. So it, it may well be the case that for these women, their most personal intimate relationship is with the federal government. And how sad is that? <laughs> Incredibly sad. Great stuff, as always, from Michael Knowles, host of The Michael Knowles Show and The Verdict with Ted Cruz. Michael, thanks for coming on the program. Good to see you, Stu. All right, back in a second. Let me remind you about realestateagentsitrust.com. If you're going to buy a house, maybe Julia's house is up for sale. Now that, uh, you know, that ended so sadly. Uh, you want to get a real estate agent that can actually help you get the job done. It's important to have someone who knows what they're doing, someone who knows the market. They know how to price the house uh, appropriately, but also someone who can help you with those last minute repairs. Every time I have, uh, I have to sell a house, uh, you know, I've done it a few times in my life. And every time there's always these like last minute things that have to get fixed that I didn't even know were wrong with the house. You want to have someone who can who has people who can come in and do it inexpensively in the right way. 
You need someone who knows what they're doing. That's the long and the short of it. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com now. Uh, make sure you uh, check out uh, your area, see where the best agent is, who is that best person. They'll put you in touch with them uh, directly, and you can get this all hashed out. These are people who are mostly fans of the show, and, and they understand that you know it's important to do business the right way. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Well, the V-shaped recovery is kind of actually happening here. A 33.1% annualized rate in GDP increase for quarter three. It's better than expected. They expected 32%, got 33.1%. Now, of course, this follows you know, the worst quarter in history. This is the best quarter in history, follows the worst quarter in history. Uh, 31.4%, it was down in 2020 quarter two. 2020 quarter three is up 33.1%. Now, there's basically one audience in America that will understand this, and it's you, thankfully. But when the way percentages work, if you go down by 31.4% and then go up by 33.1%, you don't actually have a better overall number at the end. You know this, I think. Uh, but very few people will understand that. The bottom line is we've almost recovered uh, everything. Um, the GDP at quarter one of 2020 was 21.6 trillion. It's now 21.2 trillion. So we've recovered most of it. And it's a good argument for Trump going into the last few days to win over those last few votes of people who are still somehow undecided. Back in a second. Now it's time to talk about Not Free America. It's a really interesting book. Uh, it's written by Mike Donovan. Now, this guy has been fighting tyranny for years as the founder of the nation's largest pro bono civil rights law firm. As he puts it in his new book, Not Free America, our Bill of Rights has been under attack long before COVID-19 or George Floyd or any of this stuff. Uh, if you refuse to surrender your liberty to any earthly power, you need to read this book, Not Free America goes after actual solutions, uh, you know, being used for how we can, as citizens, push back against the government and make sure our rights are protected. Go to notfreeamerica.com, notfreeamerica.com. They have a liberty pledge there you can take, and you can order a copy of your book uh, to find out how to stop the over, uh, overreaching abuse of our government and what actions you can take to make it better. Uh, we've got to work together, and we, we've got to have knowledge to back up the things we want to try to do to change this country for the better. Uh, we have a crisis in this country, and we have to unite around the concept of liberty to solve it. We can do that. It is possible. Remember, the most significant changes always come uh, from people working together. It's notfreeamerica.com. Check it out. New book, notfreeamerica.com. I want to have you look out for uh, my first column for the New York Post is coming out, I think, tonight. Uh, maybe tomorrow on the paper. Uh, check it out. It's about Andrew Cuomo. And I don't know if you know the summary of it. If I could summarize it in, let's say, four words. Andrew Cuomo is awful. Dot com. Uh, you can check out, get your gear there. But the New York Post column, I'll post it on all the social media stuff. I appreciate you sharing it. Uh, people need to know what's actually happened with Andrew Cuomo. We'll see you tomorrow.